Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode 214 of Long Toss. I'm Scott Belford. This is the walk-off. We are joined by our panelists. Now, we are going to introduce everyone here. We are waiting on one more, but we'll get going. Adam Mack, the best co-host in the biz, normally joins us, normally runs this show, but he can't find his microphone or his webcam. He just moved houses, so this is a a moving uh, thing that you got to deal with from time to time. So he is here. He just has no way of communicating with us. So uh, (laughs) holding down the fort, regular of the show, baseball, Jen, welcome back. Thank you so much. How was your weekend? Uh, I spent more money than anticipated on a rear brake job today. And so I'm still reeling from that a little bit, but the Blue Jays can't stop winning. I, so... It's a beautiful can't, thing. Can't it's a put beautiful the brakes on the winning there right now. <laughs> uh, also, welcome back. Very good friend of the show. We saw you on Thursday at the live show, buddy. That, that was, was a fun little uh, fun little endeavor. Joel, welcome to the show, pal. Yeah, it was, it was so fun to hang out with you guys live and, and get like a taste of uh, the whole walk-off experience, you know, being able to communicate with people live. That was, that was a really fun situation, guys. Just, uh, you know. It was it was really fun. It was a great bar, and I'm I'm happy to always tune out when it's like within you know relative proximity. Calgary got to do Calgary next time when you guys do Calgary. Yeah, I think man, Calgary's my radius. I'll, down. I'll expand out to Calgary. <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, no, the live show was a lot of fun, and for everyone watching right now, uh, we are loosely planning hopefully to be in Toronto. I know Adam and I are uh, hoping for the spring where both of us can go down and I might even be out there in September and we'll do something. So uh, we have not forgot about you, Toronto. I know uh, it seems weird that we're doing all these Blue Jays podcasts in Alberta, but this is where we live. So it's very convenient. Uh, Welcome to the show here, Lewis. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks to you. Uh, Glad you could make it. Yeah, we've missed each other a couple of times. We're glad to be on. Yeah, it's been a while, but good to have you back on. So here we are. We are the best this team has been all year with where they are sitting. Okay. They are eight and one in their last nine games. They just swept a very good Arizona Diamondbacks team. And you know what? They did it in a way that didn't inspire the panic that sometimes the way they win does. So all in all, a pretty good weekend. We'll start with you, Lewis, the latest to join us here. Um, when you look at this team and what they've done in the last nine games, are you feeling satisfied? Do you feel your temperature rising on liking this team as an actual contender? It's the best I've felt all year, for sure. It's pretty funny to think that our one loss in our last nine games was a was a no hitter. I always think that's pretty funny. But, <laughs> to the um, Tigers, yes. To the Tigers, yeah. It doesn't feel great, but in the midst of it all, we're still playing good baseball. Even today, 
just looking overall, like how the bullpen has done all year, like the bullpen is lights out right now. Jimmy Garcia was a question mark to Jimmy Garcia. Sorry. was a question mark to start. Pearson was a question mark to start just making his way onto the roster. But Tim Mays is amazing. Even Rom- like look at the yeah. Jays earlier in the year. If Romano was out earlier in the year with his back problem, it's tough to say that a, the Jays team would have really solidified the bullpen in the way they have with, with his absence. So. No, I'm just I'm just so excited with how the pitching staff has been able to take it to a new, new level when it really matters. That is nailing it, Lewis. That's exactly what I was about to say is that it may not feel like it, but this bullpen has been lights out, especially recently. Mm-hmm. And if you and I, you brought up Tim Mesa, I know we talk Trevor Richards all the time. These are two guys that Blue Jays faithful were ready to fire into the sun like only yeah. six months ago. So pretty great to see mm-hmm. how big they have come up and to see guys like Jay Jackson being called up from AAA and contributing and getting it done, pretty exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Joel, when you look at where this team is, only seven games back of the division, and I, I don't want to jump off the deep end here, but with the fact that the Rays have cooled so much and the Orioles are starting to look beatable, is the division completely out of the realm of possibilities? And do you think, uh, I know two weeks ago, the talk was maybe we should be standing pat at the trade deadline. Maybe we should be a buyer and a seller. Is that changing in your mind? Is this a point in this organization, in this World Series contending window, that maybe sitting pat or just kind of bolstering around the peripheral is not the way to go? Oh, well, yeah, we're, we're going on to that topic. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's in this situation of right now, you're coming off that White Sox, Tigers, Arizona, you roll through that really, really well. Does that define that you feel truly competitive against the teams that you have to beat in, in the playoffs? I don't think it says that, but it definitely, it's that part of the season where the Reds had it, that winning streak that the Reds went on pretty much is defining their season right now. You find that soft period of your schedule. And this, this year, more than any year, the Jays are going to find those clusters of nice sections of games where you can take seven of eight, eight or eight of nine, like we just have um i feel like um you're, you're sitting in a situation today you swept but the the issue with the pitching with ryu coming back and and kikuchi only getting you know really two runs through the rotation it's like we're missing a guy manoa's back but the question marks of will he be up or down for the rest of the season are still up in the air so like i i still think you need to make moves you need to be rather aggressive especially we can't guarantee that Bo and Vladdy will, will lock up long-term here, right? We can't guarantee that yet. We don't know if that's the truth. So if we're worried about keeping the, the you know, the cookies in the, in the, the you know, like the cupboard because we want to keep prospects, those are our prospects. If, if we feel like those guys are leaving, that's how we restock the cupboard, right? So I feel like we have to be in a situation right now where we can move those pieces to make this team way more competitive right now in hopes to win now and prove to those guys that it is a place to stay long-term. So I wouldn't be afraid of making big moves because if it doesn't work out, those are the guys that are going to fill up your prospects and you're going to move up to top five in the prospect list because you moved Bo Bichette for, you know, an entire farm system. 
And and we will dive more into that. I do wish to focus a little bit on this Arizona series. I know that uh, Blue Jays Nation has been feeling a little LFL longing for Lourdes since he left. And he had a really big series. But you know what was kind of cool to watch is Varsho showed up as well. Moreno had a pretty good series. These guys kind of showed up to play against their own team or their old teams there. Uh, Jen, what was your feeling on the series in general? I mean, first of all, I just, you know, seeing the team come out of the all-star break and hit the ground running was a really positive boost, I think, for for both the team as well as the fan base. Um, because I think we were all really ready to be quite angry after that no-hitter against Detroit. Um, and, and you know, they almost lost the the third game of that series. Um, and, and depending on sort of how things went, I think coming out of that all-star break was really going to sort of set... Uh, quite a tone and so uh, yeah that Arizona team is is a good team um, they do have the benefit of playing in the division that they're in mind you but um, you know they're still a pretty decent team and to see the Jays take all three um, you know really does suggest that you know maybe they've got some momentum I, I don't know um, uh I, I see the comment from Taco Time. I also need needed, needed new calipers. So it, it, just a, a, FYI, it was an expensive day, Taco Time. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it cost me about as much as it'll cost the Jays if they, uh, you know, just uh, pay Mitch White to go away. Um, <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, you know, that was that's exactly what you wanted to see out of this team, right? Now, you know, the one caveat is that we've seen this team perform well and then never actually pick a momentum. So I'm really interested in seeing, you know, whether or not they can build from here with the day off with the day off tomorrow and a disappointing Padres team coming to town. Um, the pitching has been far better, I think, than anybody could have expected. Um, and even looking at that bullpen, I'm not entirely sure they need to add another bullpen piece. To be completely honest, it would be nice, but I don't think it's a need. Whereas earlier in the season, we were saying that it was an absolute need. Um, so they're in a really interesting place right now. Um, and I always want, you know, to see a team go big at the deadline. They're, I think, one and a half games up uh, where they are in the wild card position. I think they're five games behind Baltimore. Um, as you said, seven games behind the Rays. I still don't think they'll catch the Rays, um, but I certainly think it can, they can make it interesting here. I kind of feel the same way, Jen, is uh, I, I, I look at what the Rays are, and I don't think that this team has it in them in the last 75 games or whatever it is right now to catch them fully. But I do think they can get within that two game, three games and really make it interesting in September and really mm. make them sweat, which would be beautiful. And another thing that stood out, stood out about this Arizona series and, and this Jays team coming off the all-star break is some late innings, run, late inning runs, you know, like all year long, it has felt like if this team is tied or losing going into the seventh, like good night and all three games, they managed to either come up with big runs to, you know, give them a, a bigger lead, a little bit of breathing room, or even just to come all the way back. Uh, we saw Danny Jansen with the heroics on that last game in Detroit. This is not something we were seeing a month ago. And I find it very encouraging. Um, is that a silver lining? Production from mentioning? the bottom of the order. Right. 
Yeah, production from the bottom of the order in several of these recent games, I think really was sort of the, the cherry on top of, of those wins. Okay, so basically chat is very, very into the fact that Mitch White did make things uh, more interesting than they probably had to be at the end of this game. Now, Mitch White is an interesting case here, and it, it goes into our next topic beautifully because Ryu, Hinjin Ryu, almost all the way back from Tommy John surgery, he pitched in Buffalo last night. He pitched five innings, gave up an earned run. He averaged, I think it was 89 miles an hour on his fastball, but that's Hinjin Ryu. It's, it's down a little bit. From, from a couple seasons ago, but honestly, he's probably going to get back to where he was, which was never a power pitcher. He's 35 years old, but we talked about on Friday, Joel, or I guess Thursday night for the live show, we talked about how overworked this bullpen has been. It, it, they have been incredible, but when you go down the list of names that are on on pace to break their career records for innings pitched, it's kind of a scary endeavor, especially when you know darn well that was part of uh, what contributed to Manoa's downfall this season, right? It's just a little bit of being overworked. I know there's a laundry list of reasons, and if we could pinpoint exactly what it was, it would all already been done, but it is a dangerous thing to do. So looking at the 40-man roster, it just makes sense that maybe it would benefit the bullpen, would benefit this starting staff to go to a six-man rotation for a little while when Hinjin Ryu comes in. Of course, to do that, you're only allotted 13 pitching spots. So you'd have to go with seven men in the bullpen. Is that enough, Lewis? One of the big things about this rotation is their ability to eat innings. That has been like our staff has barely gotten injured this year. And even with the loss of Manoa, they've been able to make it back. So I don't really think it's a matter of the starting rotation, but as you said, it's probably the bullpen and even like Swanson having to pitch today. That wasn't some, yeah. that's something that's the biggest problem with Mitch White. Like you just have to get those outs. Those are three of the easiest outs a manager is ever going to ask from you. And you just need to get them out. So I think a six man would be awesome, but I think a six man should be done when you get someone at the deadline. Cause I'm not sure if you can be that guy. I love Ryu, and I will eat my words if he can get guys out in the big leagues, but we all watched pre like post uh, sticky stuff ban leading into a surgery. He was throwing pitches down the middle, change ups, cutters. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. People are getting at me on Twitter a little bit for, for that Mitch white thing, but Mitch white didn't help me out today, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to believe he forces his way onto a, into this rotation. There are lots of reasons to doubt hinge and Ryu. 35 mm -hmm. years old and coming off Tommy John surgery. Let's face it. Most pitchers coming off Tommy John surgery. We really see them return to form the year after they return, right? Like that first year, yeah. they're just kind of finding themselves again. Now that said, <laughs> Ryu is in the best shape of his life. I mean, if you've seen pictures of the man, he's down yeah. 35 pounds from when he was pitching with this staff at the beginning of 2022. I'm not saying that's going to translate into anything, but he at least looks ready to go and he looks like he's yeah. motivated, which is a big piece of the puzzle here. Jen, when you think of Hinjin Ryu and how this starting staff should 
be manipulated for the rest of the season, or even we don't need to go that big of a sample size, even the next month, what would you like to see happen when Ryu returns? Can you see him being added to this rotation? Do you see Kikuchi in the bullpen? What's your vision? I could see a potential six man rotation uh, for a couple of weeks, because I think they need to see what they've got, not just in Ryu, but also still in Manoa. Because yes, Manoa did have a good game against Detroit, but that was the first game back. And they really don't know if that is a turning point for him or if whatever was haunting him <laughs> for, 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 you know, the first few months of the season, you know, comes back to haunt him. And I really think that they need to see what they have in those pieces on top of the fact that Ryu and Gosman both pitch better on an extra day's rest. So I could see them rolling out the six man and then from there making a decision. I think the roster crunch does make it really hard to go with a six man rotation for the rest of the season. Right. So I think they need to see, as you said, can, oops, can, can Ryu actually work his way into this rotation? What can we reasonably expect from him? Uh, is Kikuchi best served by going back into the bullpen like they did last season? Um, you know, is Manoa back back, like back where they can put him out there every five days and he's going to be able to give them a, a decent shot at winning, right? Um, these are questions Jen, that still you, need to be answered. You just hit on the biggest asterisk in this whole puzzle is Manoa. Is he back? So going to chat here, uh, Daltonus says, with how so solid the bullpen has been, the Jays can probably afford to shorten it. It still makes me a bit nervous, though, rocking the boat like that. And, and that is a very good point. Taco Time says Manoa gets blown up next start, which if that's the case, again, Manoa is a big question mark right now. And Joel, when you look at Alec Manoa, obviously he's a working project, uh, a, a working in, in, he's not done. He's not fixed is what I'm getting yes. to here. <laughs> not at the top of the mountain. He's at like base camp one. Yeah, exactly. So trying to get him right for the end of the season here, as we approach the playoffs, what would you consider a, a success out of Alec Manoa over the last two months of the season? Um, well, to, to, play on, pretty, to play on the entire pitching aspect of things through Manoa, I guess is what I'll do, is there, you don't know day-to-day -day what you're going to get from him. So that not knowing whether a blow-up leads to a demotion is a very inconsistent part of your roster, right? Um, when it comes to going to that six-man rotation, I really feel it's going to be this kind of like amalgamation of what we've seen already, but just an add, add another picture to the situation. Like I, I could totally see us have all of these, uh, have these pictures here, but still see a, a Trevor Richards opening game. You know, I could still see that thrown in right. occasionally. Right. Like I, I, I would still leave myself open to, Oh, Richards hasn't played a bunch of games. Uh, let's have him play an opener situation, run that good bullpen because we've had three great starts in a row from, I don't know, Barrios, Gosman, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I feel like six man rotation is just kind of put in a position where like, you'd like it maybe where Kikuchi could be used hypothetically out of the bullpen. Right. Like 
if you go to six man and he's only pitching 75 pitches every time he rotates through that rotation, maybe he becomes usable as a, a lefty out of the bullpen on occasion, right? It's it's making everybody, they're not coming for me, I swear to God, if you hear that side of me. But um, yeah, no, I just, I think it's having another pitcher and just allowing the situation to plan out, play your hot hand is probably what's going to happen for the rest of the season, right? So it's going to be like a little bit of mixture of what you've seen, hopefully with another starter starter kind of thrown in the mix. And and I think to Joel's point, if they're not willing to let Kikuchi go three times through the rotation, if they're going to pull him at the very first sign of trouble, which is what they've which done they the past two starts, yes. yeah. and to, like, they've pissed him off both times. You can see that he is not at all happy that he doesn't have the trust of his manager. Um you know, but if that's what you're going to do and that's how you feel about his ability, then maybe, you know, that is what they are thinking about, right? They do, they really do have to see what they've got in Ryu and Manoa, right? Mm -hmm. to, to make that call. Um, but I do think all of these options are in play at this point. So this wasn't really on our list of topics, but I did wish to bring it up here. Danny Jansen just continues to show what he can do, not just behind the plate as a great defensive catcher who can call a great game, but he also is flashing power. He's flashing the bat. And this stood out to me. I, I saw these stats on Twitter. Okay. So this is Alejandro's Kirk OPS by month over the last two years. So in 2022, his April OPS was 584. May was 984. June was insane. June, he was a 1086, 721 in July, 667 in August, and a 691 in September. Very good numbers. We can tell right across the board why he was in the all-star game. He had a rough last two months, okay? Coming into 2023, his OPS in April was 836. Very respectable. May 563, June 615, and in the month of July, he's been an OPS of 232. Basically, Alejandro Kirk offensively, despite the fact putting up very good defensive numbers, has been a disaster. Is Danny Jansen your starting catcher? Like, has Alejandro Kirk started to get to the point where it's like, let's just see him once every four games? Danny Jansen was always their number one catcher, right? From an organizational standpoint, he was that guy that they were developing in the minor league system to be that guy. And, you know, we saw when his, he was in the minors that he was, you know, really great with the bat and could hit for power. And that didn't quite translate when he came up to the big leagues. It took him some time to kind of, find his legs and, 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 or, you know, get going with the bat. But when we, I mean, we have seen absolute flashes of brilliance from this guy mm -hmm. at the plate. Um, and he seems to have just improved right year over year on top of being able to call and catch a good game. Um, but he was always the guy. And this is, you know, I, I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but I said I said last year that they should have traded Kirk because his value would never be higher, mm -hmm. never be higher. Absolutely. Keep the kid, right? Uh, you know, um, Moreno, 
trade Kirk because he'll never, ever have higher value for you. I don't know what he would have gotten back in return. Obviously, that's a whole other conversation, yep. right? But, um, you know, and now here they are where, yeah, he is more of a liability at, at the plate. And on top of that, he's a terrible base runner. So, yes, Jansen absolutely is their number one, their, their catcher. And I think everyone needs to remember, too, Danny Jansen called up at the beginning of 2018 and has really helped lead this pitching group, but not just the pitching. He's really helped lead this core all along, right? He was on that 2018 AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats team that won the, the, the championship with Bo and Vlad and all the guys, right? Uh, he has led this team at its lowest points and, and everyone knows what a learning curve there is on catching. It's one of the most rigorous and difficult positions in baseball. And there's a lot of responsibility on it. And to see him kind of coming into his prime, not just behind the plate, but at the plate offensively, but then also just mentally and how well he takes that all on. Man, 2023, the season of Danny Jansen, like, I think he could still hit 25 home runs, which is insane considering he missed a month of the season. Lewis, when you look at Danny Jansen, uh, where would you like to see him hitting in this in this batting order? Is he too far down the order in your opinion? That's been one of my problems with the with the Jays lineup. It's always remained pretty rigid, like with Springer in the leadoff spot, you know, Bo and Vlad, well, obviously they're going to find themselves in the two and three. But I wish we'd go back to what we did with Lourdes a little bit, you know, like we see him up in the three spot sometimes as low as a seven, depending on how he was doing. And I think Danny is just one of those difference makers with the bat that when you see guys in runners in scoring position, you want to see Danny at the plate because you know he's going to have a good A-B. And if he makes contact, it's going to be loud in the air and probably to the pull side. And that's where all the damage is done in baseball for a majority of, you know, runs scored. So, no, I love Danny, and I think hiring the lineup is always going to be better for him. And you got to maximize on when he is playing, because, you know, catchers are usually part-time, and he's usually injured. So got to get that bat in the lineup in the best place possible, and that's higher. And I mean, I I already know what uh, you think about this, Joel, but I will I will give the floor to you here because I love the way you compare Danny Jansen to Marcus Simeon. And what I loved when you made that comparison is the comments went insane. People were calling you an idiot. They were like, "You're a freaking moron." This just proves once again, hey, Kami doesn't know baseball. But then you break down the stats, and it's like, um, no, they're literally identical. Carbon what copies are you talking of each about? other. Carbon li- copies. Yeah. It's 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 ridiculous the like inspiration clearly that Simeon had on Danny. Like we've talked about it. You had him on the show, he's talked about it. And he hasn't changed his approach at home to the ballpark. You know, the ballpark has changed. Hey, there's 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 uh, you could shoot the ball to the opposite field. He's like, my best success is getting on top of a fastball, finding a mistake pitch over the middle and hitting it as hard as I can. That's that's my goal. And he goes up there with that approach. And it's that is very old school run producer mentality of a hitter. I'm going up. If you make a mistake to me, I will, I will change the score, especially if there's runners on base. Right. And I've had the mentality of hit, hitting top four, but like approach it very much the way that you would approach having Marcus Simeon in your lineup. Where would Marcus Simeon hit? That's where Danny should hit. 
That's yeah. really since the very beginning of the season, I felt that way. And he only keeps succeeding down in like the seven hole. I'm like, you know, eventually, eventually that's a ladder he should be climbing up. And, um, you know, I like the idea of, you know, you can lengthen the lineup so much that way. You Hypothetically, you do a situation where you would platoon maybe Kiermaier and Merrifield at the top. You put Bo in the two spot. You put Vladdy three, Springer, Jansen, four, five, Chapman, six, Belt, seven, and, and Varsho, eight, into the opposite of the platoon from Witt and Kiermaier would be nine, right? You're up against a lefty, Kiermaier's nine. If you're up against a righty, Kiermaier's one, right? And you just rotate through that. And all of a sudden, the lineup feels long and, and threatening mm-hmm. all the way through, right? So, and and I did not mention Alejandro Kirk's names in, in when I mentioned that lineup. So um, he really, if you were able to put him consistently, Kirk last year in the four hole, I can't see why you wouldn't have opportunities for Jansen to be hitting four or five consistent and for the rest of the I, I and that's where i want to see jansen i want to see him in that four hole or five hole um i the only thing that has kept danny jansen from truly replicating marcus simeon is the fact that he hasn't been able to stay healthy but if you look at his danny jansen's last 162 games he has over 30 home runs he has over 100 rbis his numbers are almost exactly where marcus simeon is they're both pole hitters a they're Yeah, a little bit higher. They're both pull hitters. They both fit into that middle of the lineup really well. I don't know if I like them as high as you, Joel, in the two hole, but I I do get what you're saying, though. I I totally get the point you're making, which is Danny Jansen should be in a place where he can drive in more runs, which isn't which isn't the eight hole. Uh, okay, I do want to quickly touch on Will's got a great comment here. Uh, Will G says, league adjusts, guy struggles at a bit. Then player adjusts again. Won't apply to Kirk, question mark. He's young. Will uh, will get back to the bat. So basically what he's saying is, you know, the league adjusts and he is young. Kirk is only 24 years old. Lots of uh, experience still to come in his career. Who is Alejandro Kirk Lewis, in your opinion? Um, I This year is a wash for me. I think I've been seeing some numbers on his swing and his bat approach. Like his bat path is not the same as it was in 2021 and 2022 when he was doing the most damage. I think I hate always saying, I always hate saying this, but I think conditioning is part of it. I think probably having a kid is part of it. Like these are major things in life and, you know, baseball doesn't come first when you're having a kid. So I think, I think Kirk is fine. I think you give him an off season to come back, be with Danny, split things up next year. He'll be just fine with the bat. And even this year, like he has more war than Moreno and Kirk can't even hit at all. And Moreno will Moreno's struggling <laughs> as well. But that just goes to show yeah. Kirk's defense and how much of a good ball player he is. Like look at his OBPs, like his K to walk mm. ratios are very similar. He's got the same eye at the plate. It's just about that bad and just sorting some things out there. Kirk's a great hitter. He's he'll stick around. He'll be, he'll be fine. I I agree with that. I think Kirk will be fine. And uh, there's ups and downs 162. And it's funny how season to season can really, especially with a young ball player, you know, a, a season can be a wash real quick. He started slow, came yeah. in late, just never really seemed like he got his feet under him, which it's too bad, and it's definitely affected the Blue Jays without a doubt. Um, 
Okay, this this next topic, unless anyone has anything else to wrap up here on the catching situation. Okay, we'll move along. Um, I saw a update on Addison Barger the other day, basically saying that it looks like he's going to need to undergo surgery in the offseason with some real rehab taking him maybe even to midseason next year. Now, I'm not saying Addison Barger is a top prospect or anything like that. He's a good kid. He's moved up the rankings. Can he be a legitimate third baseman at the big league level is yet to be seen, but he continues to progress. And he's kind of the guy that the Blue Jays had pegged as, as a possible third base replacement for Chapman as he goes out in 2024. So I do want to talk real quickly about the 2024 third base conundrum that the Blue Jays are currently in. Because if you do look at their system, and especially now that we know that Addy's probably needing surgery and not even going to be available to start the 2024 season, where is everyone at on the third base position next year? Rolvis Martinez has made some big improvements in his game. He actually broke back into the top 100, according to Baseball America on their prospect ranking, which is very impressive. 21 years old. He's young. He's probably ready to get the call up to AAA. That said, starting Aralvis Martinez at third base in 2024, I just don't think it's going to happen. Jen, when you look at third base, and we've seen what messing around at the hot corner can do for a team, 2021 is probably the reason they didn't make the playoffs, and that is not offense to Kevin Biggio. That is a shot at the front office for putting him in that position. But third base is important. Where do you envision, envision this organization going at the hot corner? That's a great year? question. And this was one of the topics that I had. This was my my top of my list topic was what do you do with Matt Chapman and moving probably moving on from him? Because I just seriously doubt that they're going to end up re-signing him. Um, and so that that is very much a question in my mind. And I really don't know. And, and I think it's because the free bigger. agent market sucks too. So I was going to say like, it's even bigger than that because, you know, if, if they're not going to be able to sign him, uh, you know, do you, do you try to trade him to get some value? And does that make your team worse trying to make a playoff run? Uh, you know, like, how do you, how do you approach that? You know, um, on the one hand, I'm really you know, <laughs> we could be the Yankees fans screaming about the third base situation right now. <laughs> we really could. It's scary. <laughs> and it, it's, it, it is really fun to sort of see that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but this, yeah, th my point is, is what I'm trying to go with this is that I don't know how to answer this question. That was why it was one of my topics, because I was going to ask you guys to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, what would you do for the third base position then? Because there is a big question mark there. Yeah. Um, the roller coaster of Matt Chapman is, is really interesting, right? Like that first month you're like, this guy is going to go to free agency and he's going to, he's going to make $250 million. And now, you know, uh, he's cooled down. He's still over an 800 OPS. Mm -hmm. The defense hasn't, 
you know, maintain the platinum form that it has. He's still really a consistent. But he's been really good, yes. Yeah, like he's still a really great defensive. Like I think if you take that step to a a 21-year-old third baseman next year, you're really going to take that hit and all sailing into the into the stands and you're going to really go, "Oh wow, like I think we're in this point now where we're low on Chapman, but what he brings to the table will be instantly forgotten once you replace it with something that isn't as consistent as he's actually been able to be, especially defensively. So um, it, it's, there is no possibility of him re-signing, right? That is just oh, out. So. That's just absolutely out, right? That's. Um, he, he is, he's just, the, he's the top third agent free, uh, top third baseman free agent next season. Without absolutely a doubt. the top. Without, without a doubt. doubt and he's represented by Scott Boris Corp, who no way they give a discount on the that came off as a question, but that was like an eighty percent state, right? Yeah. Like that was like, hey, there's there's no, so like that makes me feel like okay, when earlier the topics have been uh, um, how you approach the trade deadline and and like do you stay? Is that a move that seems like you're costing the team, but you have to almost make it to. Because losing, because the loss next year is is going to be, like you said, the Kevin Biggio third base in twenty twenty one probably cost the team. So you can't. Like SV you, SV probably could fill third base hole defensively. I just don't know how I feel about taking another huge bat at yeah. Yeah, yeah at third base at the hot corner, right? Yeah. So you're you're put in a position where if you don't think you can't. First of all, there aren't really many options after Matt Chapman free agency wise. So you're not going to be getting his replacement free agency wise. So it's like you almost have to, a lot of trades have been proposed very much uh, one, one third baseman for another. I know you were, I know you were talking the insanity, Scott, of yes. going to St. Louis and trying to bring grab me Arenado Nolan Arenado. I said, yes. Right? Like, <laughs> and do a third baseman for a third baseman deal just to try to bring in that like, you know, at least, you know, there you're actually making an upgrade, but it's, um, I, you can't, you can't take that step back at that position because we've seen what this team is with that hole there. So I feel like that might be a move where you might have to take a little bit of a hit, but you can't take the full on hit of the absolute loss of chat. Well, that's just it. Like right now. I mean, regardless of the fact that he's cooled off at the plate, um, you know, your lineup is way worse if you, if you were to trade him, right? Way worse. And, and I don't see that being a viable option for a team that is in the playoff race. And, you know, if they, assuming they make the playoffs, right. And we're going to assume that they are, um, you know, wanting to make a deep run. Um, I just don't see how you could trade him to try to get some value knowing the hole that it's going to leave. But then the flip side is they have to fill that hole next year anyways. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you balance that? And just to reiterate, I know there's, I, maybe I didn't communicate this well enough in chat here, but by no like I, in my opinion, this Toronto Blue Jays team in 2023 is a playoff team. I'm not saying to move Matt Chapman now by any means. I'm just saying there is a serious hole at third base come 2024. And the only way that I can see moving Matt Chapman is if for some crazy reason, this organization finds a way to fill that third base hole at the deadline 
and then they can move on from Matt Chapman and get whatever you would get in return there. Um, Lewis, there seems to you... be a coinciding move that's needed. Yeah, like the idea of moving him isn't to be a seller, right? So like that's no. not what, no, that's no, not absolutely what we're not. suggesting. We're not saying that the Jays are sellers at the deadline, so get rid of Matt Chapman. That's not the point any of us are making. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. So especially with Addison Barger being injured, like that was such a red flag when I saw that. I was like, well, there's like our backup backup plan gone. So <laughs> um, I, I know we're going to talk trade deadline a bunch. Um, I, I, I guess this is as good a place as any to get into it. It's been mentioned quite a few times in chat about the fact that this team does need a bat. I think that goes without say. Um, Lewis, you're a creative outside of the box thinker. When you look at this mm. Toronto Blue Jays team, what are its areas of need? And do you have any actual names or places to go in particular where you're like, you know what, this would be a great fit? Um, just on the Matt Chapman stuff, I was thinking about that. I think it was a week ago. I was just going through all the teams because when I, when I think about trading guys, you also have to think about the team that you're trading with. And I was like, okay, who is going to want Matt Chapman? They have to be a playoff close to a playoff. They have to be a playoff team. They have to be someone mm-hmm. who's willing to go out of their way to give up assets to get this player. And I was thinking, what about the giants? And what if we got JD Davis? He's got one more year as a third baseman after this year. He's a slightly, he's a worse hitter, worse defensively. But I think that fit for a Giants team that isn't getting older is getting a better player now while we get a player, you know, who's worse in all those areas, obviously, but we get that extra year. That was just a hypothetical I had in my mind. Similar thing with the Phillies. They had a third baseman, but I looked at Bohm's numbers and he's terrible. Yeah. But um, anyway. To your question no, I, about where we I went down that rabbit hole too, Lewis, where I was, yeah, like, I was like, oh, what's Alec Bohm? And then I'm like, yikes, yeah. that is... Uh... <laughs> yeah, not good. But no, uh, where we need help is, I think we just need one more outfielder. I look at the bullpen, I think it's fine. I think you can maybe get a starting pitcher who... I don't see them getting a starting pitcher who's like starting game three of a playoff game. Stroman maybe is like the most, like I wouldn't say they would make that trade, but that type of player is the highest I could see them go for a kind of, for a pitcher. But I think it comes down to a fourth outfielder, DH, Teoscar Hernandez. That's my, the guy's crushing lefties this year, Mm -hmm. even though he's never done that really before. You could go Tommy Pham of the Mets, but it really, for me, it just comes down to getting a guy who smashes left-handed pitching and plays the outfield. That's my only, only real concern. So we, the deadline. we go out, we get Teoscar Hernandez, Marcus Stroman, and Julian Merriweather, and we call out a day. <laughs> yep, throwing Brandon Drury, throwing everyone, you know. Throwing Brandon Drury, let's, yeah. <laughs> Have a good time. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what Seattle does because they are kind of in a weird spot right now where they've got to make some... I mean, for lack of a better uh, analogy, they got to shit or get off the pot because they could really screw themselves if they don't get um, assets back for some of these expiring contracts they have. But also, they might not want to move on from them and then screw themselves over that way as well and just eliminate themselves from the playoffs when they're known for good second halves. Um, Joel, when you look at the Seattle Mariners, can you see them being sellers full-on sellers can you see teoscar hernandez being available and i'm not even saying he's the best fit but he might be the best fit he's the best fit. it's just so funny um 
he is he absolutely like like Lewis says is a lefty destroyer. Just has been for three years now. He he would you know we know what he is and we know how he fits in this lineup and that would it would weirdly enough kind of remedy the you know the over pursuit I believe of of defense that we did in the off season and like kind of that all of a sudden you bring just one of those two guys back right and this lineup yeah um and it's i think we realized the fact that a guy like teo despite his defensive lacks and his liabilities the, the fact that he is hitting you never take him out of the lineup against any pitcher there's no pitcher where you go oh teo's not going to catch up to 102 you know you feel like teo is the guy who's going to get up to one two. And that's what makes you clutch in the seventh and the eighth and the ninth. And that's what we need. We need that one more guy. So it's just, it's just this full circle thing with me that if we end up getting tail back, I don't know, I'm going to have a, I'm, it's going to be very emotional, but that, that might be exactly what we need. Is that a Jen, possible, what, what are the trade pieces back? Right? Like that's what, what I was just going to ask Jen. I was just going to be like, what do you envision Jen as a trade package for Tay Oscar and how, how expensive is he going to be? Like, is there any possible way he costs as much to get back as it cost the Mariners to get him? No, I don't think so. Okay. No. Um, Seattle Swanson is, is so tied good. with the, pardon me? He's so good. Yeah. Seattle is tied. I mean, come on. Well, the, uh, Seattle is tied with the Angels. They're five games out of a wild card spot. Um, and I think if you're Seattle, you need to be realistic about this. Um they're not out of it, but they're out of it, right? Probably. Um, and so, you know, it is an expiring contract. You're probably not re-signing him. Um, how much use is he down the stretch to you if you're already five games out of the wildcard spots or more by the time the deadline rolls around? Um, that expiring contract is why I think they could get him back for less than what Seattle gave up to get him. Um, so I don't know what it would take, but I don't think it would take the same level um, to get him back. And I, I agree with Lewis. He he's he's pretty much the best fit out there for all of these reasons because he is hitting lefties well, because you can put him in the DH spot, you can put him in the outfield if you have to. You know, he he's he doesn't have to like meld into the team it will be a seamless transition right perfect it's, it would be a perfect scenario if they could do it i know it's a long shot and i know that he'll his bat will be well sought after right like there'll be lots of competition for teoscar hernandez on a playoff team but mm -hmm. like you said jen like he'd walk back into that clubhouse and it would be a freaking celebration like it would be so cool uh, I don't know if they could pull it off, but it would be pretty darn fun. I don't know if they could I either, but I sure as hell they're hope they're picking up that phone, right? Yeah, just picking it I up at the uh, All Star game, right? So what imagine that GM would feel pretty bad. The Poto having to trade Teo back to the team you just eliminated in the postseason just a year ago—that would feel kind of bad. But no, I think the Jays would be willing to give up a little more just to get that guy back in the clubhouse. Yeah. The Angels, speaking of the Angels, they are all but out of it. 
Uh, and, and we are we, we are going we are going to talk Shohei later in the show here. I'm I'm not getting to that yet. Um, but when you look at the Angels, there are some viable pieces there that could be moved as well. What would you guys think of an addition like a, a Hunter Renfro? Perfect. Goes along those lines. His lefties. I'm pretty sure. Let me check. Yeah. Yeah. Double check that. <laughs> no, but better defensively. We just. I'm on it. I'm on it. But no, we just need DH outfielder who gets the job done, and he's he's a power hitter. He's been for a while. Let's see if he can hit lefties. That really does. He's, seem he's to be even against both. Their it's number like, one need at this point, right? And and back to what we were saying earlier, if if the bullpen is looking as solid as it's looking, whether or not they can keep that up for the remainder of the season, because some of them are going to be quite overworked by that point. Um, you know, the rotation, there are some question marks there, but by and large, you know, between Gosman, Barrios, Bassett's, right? You know, this is their biggest need. So maybe this not needing to go out and, and necessarily get that bullpen, that premier bullpen piece or this or that does mean you, this is where you're allocating the assets towards. Yeah. And, and Teoscar, like the, the, the lefty, like let's talk about how good he is against lefties. If you are up against a lefty, Teo is the best hitter on the team. That's how good he is against lefties. He is the best hitter on the Blue Jays if there's a lefty starter on the mound. So that is game changing. You're acquiring the best hitter on your team when a left-handed pitcher is on the mound. And that's a big, you know, you're up against Carlos Rodon. You're up against somebody who's left-handed. That's a drastic shift in one player, right? You're literally adding your best hitter in a player. And it's funny because I know there's been a few times in the chat where they've been like, well, where would you even put Tay Oscar? Is it wrong to say who cares? Yeah. Just let him hit. In the four hole? (laughs) i think i think what they meant was like in the field joel (laughs) you're like in the four it's not nearly as important as the four hole (laughs) yeah it's a good problem to have and what do they why would why do they care they need them for a playoff run they need them into the playoffs they don't what does it matter yeah so this is messed up because uh, this was pointed out on Twitter earlier today, and it's uh, the Blue Jays record versus the NL, who they have just dominated. It is ridiculous. 3-0 and against the Braves, 3-0 and against the Mets, 3-0 and against the Pirates, 3-0 and against the Diamondbacks, 2-1 and against the Marlins, the Brewers, the Giants, 1-2 and in that first series of the season against the Cardinals, and then that flop 0-2 and against the Phillies that I saw live. Uh, but a pretty darn good record, 16 and seven against the National League team. Uh, is it crazy to say just get to the World Series and we got it looked after? <laughs> Easy as that. So oh, I, I bring the I, I literally brought this up so that we could talk the AL East. Yeah, I was gonna just say you transition our record out of the AL East, isn't it? Isn't it pretty much across five divisions? Our record is like that. You know, across mm-hmm. five of six divisions in baseball, we we smoke, right? Completely dominate. And then you go to the AL East and they stink. And the dream is that is fluke. That is just how it played out. And as the season goes on, when they play these AL East teams again in September, and they are playing, like, if you guys look at that September schedule from about the 10th of September on, it is a real grab your collar and go, Ugh. 
because it is Yankees, Yankees, Rays, Orioles, Yankee. Like it is just nonstop and it doesn't, it doesn't get easy uh, in that final month. How important. Okay. I'm trying to frame this question properly. Cause what I'm trying to get at is how many, I, I kind of want your folks's playoff predictions and just where you think the American league is going to settle out. Because even if you look at it right now, the Red Sox are five games above 500. They're one game back of the New York Yankees who are two games back of the Jays who are five games back of the Orioles, two games back of the Rays. And I can't in my lifetime think of a, a division that was even close to that insane at the 90 game mark. Lewis, let's start with you. Um, who do you see as playoff teams in the American League? And and even if you wanted to focus on the AL East, do you think there are three teams that will make the playoffs? Do you think there's four? I think you're guaranteeing two teams out of that AL West because Texas and Houston, they're just going to be there. Texas is having a crazy year. Out of our division, geez, man, Baltimore and Tampa are so good. They're guaranteed. I just look at, I think there's a decent chance the Yankees in Boston don't make the playoffs this year in a division. And that's going to really shake, shake some things up around baseball. Like how does a commissioner's office look at a two teams above 500 in Boston and New York, not make the playoffs. Those are two of the biggest markets in sports, not in October. Like those are big, that's a big problem for a game of baseball that needs to start growing. And I think there's a decent chance they both get pushed out. I think the Jays are based on how they're playing now are going to be in the playoffs. I think that's a decent thing. That's a normal thing to say, but you know, have plenty of time to, to let things go sideways. But I think that, yeah, I'm guessing three teams are coming out of this, out of this division. Joel, what's your initial reaction when you hear the Minnesota Twins are 47 and 46 leading the AL Central and the Boston oh, Red yes. Sox are 50 and 54 in dead last in the AL East? Just Is that good for baseball? Central, like, does like it matter? the Central Same. into the other into the other two, right? Like, you're it's it you're it, it's what is a playoff team. And what are the best teams is a slightly di different argument. That shouldn't be the case. It just shouldn't be the case, yeah. right? Like you're, you're sitting in a situation like, like Lewis said, where there's no, any fifth place team, in the AL East is first place in the central. Right. And so that's a, that's technically you're saying a division winner based on quality is not worthy of, of being in the postseason. And it's just, it's this weird state of like lack of well you look at you look at that central man and you're you know detroit used to be a competitive team for a long time so i don't think the argument was really ever brought up but then as soon as detroit hit the skids for half a decade then the central just becomes this really really lackluster division and and you the, the restructuring it, it's it, it begins to make sense right like i don't want that i love the al east i love being part of the AL East and going up against everybody. You're not the AL East. You don't even watch baseball all season. You watch like, it's, it's 4A ball, right? It's borderline minor league ball. I watch major league baseball. I'm in the AL East, right? And you feel that way. So it's just this confidence thing about being in where you are. But 
you know, at the same time, the best teams are not making the postseason under this format currently. So, and, and when a team potentially is going to make it as, as a division leader and maybe be under 500, right? Twins could be under 500 at the end of the year and Red Sox could be eight games over. And, and that's the playoffs. And Michael Borland's cracking me up here in chat. He goes, if Toronto was in the central, this chat would be bliss. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. We kind of are a little be bit a lot better. Central. <laughs> just, just, just to put it in perspective, by the way, uh, the Cleveland Guardians are four games under 500. They're two games back of the AL Central lead. They are six games back of the last wild card spot. So I think everyone is aware of the lack of parity amongst the divisions, and I don't think it's that huge of a, uh, a huge of a deal, but I do think it's bad for baseball. And I think the best thing they could do is just to just disband the divisions. Just take the, you know, like figure out the way you want to do it and just take the top six teams. If that's how you do it, you just take the top six, then run with it that way. Because the AL Central is a little embarrassing to the American League, especially when you look at how tight the AL East is. And even the West, it's kind of unfair that, you know, a team like like Seattle and the Angels are already in sell mode when the Guardians are going to bolster their lineup at, at the deadline. Like compare Toronto and Detroit geographically and just tell me that one gets the luck of the draw of not really having to play tough baseball teams at all, right? It's just kind of, it, it just doesn't really make too much sense. It doesn't, especially the aspect that are the, is the AL East going anywhere, right? Is the competitive likeness going to suddenly slow down over the next two or three years? Or is Baltimore probably going to be Baltimore for a decade? now tampa bay just always wins the new york yankees don't know how to not be competitive they just always are the yankees and the red sox are the red sox so this isn't going anywhere this isn't like a, a trend that like oh don't worry two years from now the al east won't be a good division it's always an amazing going back 20 years the only argument that can be made for the current system is that you don't want to punish small market teams for the fact that they're small market teams and say you never, ever have a chance at making the playoffs, right? Um, because in which case those teams really may as well not exist, except for the fact that they um, they generate money for ownership, I'm sure, right? To some, right? Um, but, you know, the flip side of that is Tampa Bay is a small market team and still mm -hmm. manages to get it done. So yeah, Baltimore. Right, Baltimore, nothing. you know, so that's that's the, the other side of this coin. Ultimately, it is bad for baseball to have top teams record-wise who are also top spenders and have the biggest markets not make the playoffs. Like that for the business of baseball as a whole mm -hmm. is bad. That is such a good point, Jen, that I didn't honestly take into consideration is what disbanding the divisions would do to some of these small market teams. And because I am kind of like Will says it here in chat, he says, run two leagues, the best make it divisions be darned. And, and that is how I feel. And I also am aware, especially after hearing the argument of the small market team that I am biased. I'm a Toronto Blue Jays fan have watched this team get screwed by being in the AL East my entire life, right? So it's probably not fair for me to truly, you know, act like it's not an opinion that I think that the division should be disbanded. But man, it is sure is frustrating when you look at the standings and look at what's going on 
and realize that the best teams in baseball, there's going to be a couple of them that just don't make it. And we're going to watch the Minnesota twins in the playoffs. Like one of the biggest things that really shifts the needle is Kansas city and Oakland, right? Like not, you look at how bad they are, but like when you compare, there's no national teams that are anywhere near as bad as Kansas city and Oakland. Kansas city and Oakland are going around throwing around you go up against them, you get a 750 winning percentage across the season. Just they're just giving that out. Come take a 750 winning percentage against us, right? So it's just like we we don't know what that feels like in, in divisionally, right? Those other two divisions have a team that is so in the basement, like record in the basement. You can like, oh, well, not play our full team today. We don't know what that's like. We don't know what it's like up here in the ALEs. So it's just those those lackluster low teams at the bottom. I don't even really want them to exist. I, <laughs> I want owners to come in and completely overhaul that concept that you can sit at the bottom and make money, right? I, I don't want them to ever have a chance. Tampa does. Tampa's got brilliant minds that construct uh, a payroll into being a winning team, but I don't want that owner to sit there and go, I'm cashing checks. I never have to turn this team into a winner. Chucharu brings up a really interesting point here. He says it feels like an MLB issue. They need to have spending floors and ceilings for teams. And if they can't keep up, replace them. And I've always thought there should be a that. floor. Yeah. Yeah, because if there's not, you get scenarios like Baltimore. And listen, Baltimore is a great example of what you can do if you get up pile of top draft picks and have great player development and absolutely there are examples of organizations who have screwed that formula up but that said it sure is frustrating to incentivize that sort of game plan for organizations do you know what i mean like to be like listen if you're a small market team Sure, just lose and don't spend for seven years. Because it's proven to be a winner. It has. I mean, it, it, it's been proven it works. Look at Houston. Houston they're still, they're still reaping the, the benefits of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, Pittsburgh would say that they've always kind of been doing this and have yet to succeed with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great example of the flip <laughs> side of the coin <laughs> i would have put the reds in that category but now you're starting to be i'm starting to be like uh i'm a cincinnati believer now like i i think that they have in, in a year they're going to be players they really do yeah. they really do okay joel i know that you need to get out of here shortly so what i'm going to do is i'm going to, we'll come back and we'll talk shohei once you get out of here uh but your topic would love to hear what you're bringing to the table to talk about today. My, my topic, my, my topic was, was Danny Jansen moving up the lineup. That was, oh, that okay. was my, my topic was legitimately, I, I had it, I had it written down here. You brought it, you started to bring it up and I'm like, all right, we're doing my topic. Like right off the bat. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, my, I, I, I could try to swing it to a backup. Like my, my backup thing would have been, do we need a replacement hitter like Teo and Lourdes so that my backup one is gone? And yes. um, I, I, I just dive dive right into Shohei. You can, I'll, I'll go into somebody else's stuff. You don't need to do mine today. Okay, okay. Then we will go into Shohei Otani because just last week, 
And I think the writing was on the wall once Mike Trout hit the IL and Shohei was removed from the game with his blister. And it just seemed like this, this push the Angels had done in 2023 to create a playoff contender just wasn't going to happen. And who knows? They're not completely out of it yet, but it's the Angels. And I have zero faith in them as a team or an organization. Now, the fact that the rumors came out that they are going to be shopping Shohei Otani. I mean, that's the responsible move from an organization. Lewis, would you look at the rumors floating out as anything more than that? Or do you think that they actually should be, they should be shopping them, correct? Or should they be doubling down and try and make the playoffs? I think they're scared to say that they're shopping Shohei Otani because shopping Shohei Otani is shopping the greatest talent baseball has ever seen. This is insane. We haven't seen it before ever in a front office and from an owner. I'm not, Art Moreno, is that his name? Yeah. Who is stuck up as that is when it comes to owners. It's tough to, it's going to be a tough pill for them to swallow. So I don't know. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where I don't think they're ever going to come out right and say it, but they're going to be listening and they're going to have serious, serious conversations. And I think they're going to take and they're going to get what they what they deserve for Shohei. They're going to get a haul. They should trade him. They have to trade him. You can't have Shohei since 2018 and Mike Trout since 2018 and never and finish above 500 for it. and not make the playoffs and let him walk to the Dodgers in free agency. You can't there's, let it happen. There's no way that Otani as in, in, intellectually wants to resign. He's watched what this team no. has done with their free agent signings, which hasn't done anything. They watched the strategy of only drafting pitchers. Like, that, I'm sorry, I still go back to that being one of the stupidest things I've ever seen an organization ever conceive of. We're, we're eliminating oh, video game GMing. Is it how you like to see it, Joel? You know, like, yeah, just that like, is as oh, video. That is as like nine-year-old picking up his video game and trying to run a baseball team as I've ever <laughs> seen. That you are eliminating the players who swing the bat, catch the ball, and play baseball. You're not looking at any of them to draft, and they did that for back-to-back years? Like, there's no way Otani is sitting there and going, I want to be a part of this in any way, shape, or form. Um, This is the Eric Lindros deal that made the Colorado Avalanche into a a team that was viable in in hockey. Yeah, right? That's You have to look at it that way because there's never a team – you won't – there will never be a needle mover just for two months, the way that Otani is. You're never getting getting one player who becomes your ace and becomes your three-hole hitter and moves around the base like Gazelle. You're never getting that rental. So that rental is the greatest rental of all time. You look at guys like Sabathia and the runs that they've gone on. Nobody will contribute four war, five war as an individual for whatever's left of the season. This guy can. This guy can put up a one war game. That's how good this guy is. So it's just like, you can't lose out on that. You lose out on that. And, but then you are the team that lost out on Otani at the same time. Right. So there's no, there's no winning, right. At least in the short term, five years from now, when those prospects, you know, you, you have to involve multiple teams, not one team can pay off Shohei Otani on, on a rental, right. You need to, I need 
like the Dodgers prospects and I need the Yankees prospects. So find your way amongst yourselves to give me all of those prospects that I'll make this deal. But that's what you're talking about for a return. So you have to make it. That's the future of this organization. I think the obvious landing point for him is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I think everyone would be shocked if he goes elsewhere, which will make the trade deadline incredibly interesting because there honestly could be some players in the trade deadline that you wouldn't even in a million years think would be in on the Otani sweepstakes and aren't when it comes to free agency going into 2024. But how insane would it be to see a, a team like the Cincinnati Reds make a play for him? You know, like that's a thing too, where he lives on forever, right? You can sell an that's Otani exactly right. jersey forever. Um how expensive, like Jen, out of curiosity, I, I, I don't, I don't even need you to guess on what it would take to bring in Otani. But in when you look around the landscape of MLB currently, who are some organizations you can see making a play for him as a rental? Not the Blue Jays, um, because whatever it's going to talk cost to get him, the Blue Jays cannot pay it. Period. Yeah. Um. So I just want to put that out there for anybody who sort of has that that pipe dream that dream yeah yeah uh, i mean the orioles could right the orioles absolutely Damn. could they have an incredibly deep farm system and whatever they would give up for shohei otani they would still have a good farm system that's the insane part of it um yes. it's almost like they've built to that point you know um mm -hmm. they could really go in any direction that they want to this trade off season, um, or sorry, this trade season, um, back to just the, the angels and Shohei himself. I mean, multiple reports, he has stated that he wants to play for a contender. I think he's all, but said publicly that he will not resign with the angels. And he's probably told them that privately, or at least his agent has, right? Like this ship has sailed and no, like know that. Um, and it would be absolutely, absolute neglect for the Angels to not trade him and get those prospects in return. Absolute neglect. It is insane that the Angels have the best player this sport has ever seen in Shohei, as well as one of the best players that has ever played the game in Mike Trout, and they have absolutely squandered both of them. Like just it just shows a, you this isn't basketball. Right? What an absolute failure. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Two players cannot win you a thing, no matter how good they are. Right? If you had Otani and Trout, but the basketball comparisons, they would have won the last five World Series, right? If that was the game that they were playing, you had two players of that caliber in basketball terms, endless victories, but it just doesn't. To your point, Jen, it just doesn't do it in baseball. You have to build a baseball team around the two greatest talents. And how sad of a legacy is that that Anaheim could not just build a baseball team around those two. It, it is gods. it is an absolute like to their lasting shame that they squandered, you know, the best years of Mike Trout and and squandered, you know, this incredible unicorn that we are all just dying to see you know, play whenever possible because of we'll never see the likes of him again in our lifetime. It's just to it, their absolute lasting shame. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a team like the Orioles, a team like the Reds, like these are the teams that I see potentially 
getting him for that rental piece because of what their farm system looks like. They won't sign him long-term, obviously, but it sure as hell would make their playoff run pretty fun. Like that is one thing I hadn't really, it's funny because I had kind of dreamt about the Reds and I don't know why the Orioles didn't come to mind, but boy, that's a good fit. And the thing with the Orioles that is damn scary is they could give up a buttload of prospects and again, not really affect what they're doing going forward, especially considering this is an organization with no money on the books. So they could still go out and load up on free agents and fill those holes next season and still be far below teams' payrolls like the Blue Jays, like the Astros, like the Phillies. And that uh, is a scary prospect. (laughs) It's the perfect landing spot in my mind. They need power. They need a pitcher of his caliber. Lefties don't have to deal with that wall out in left field like mm-hmm. it's it's scary how perfect of a fit that is i'd love to see them do it as much as that makes I, me the path too. for the blue jays even more challenging i'd love to see them do it yeah, yeah. i'd be for it taco and time I'm, i mean there's, there's there's no way he winds up in a place like baltimore no for the long term I don't think but, so. No. I, but damn as a rental without him, like just going to a contender and just going in there and being a ringer. I can't wait to see who gets Shohei. <laughs> and, and what that would do for the organization, like, like internally, that guy walks into your clubhouse. Like, like that's the most ever statement yeah. that a GM has made that I'm going for you guys. And here's the greatest piece of support you could ever have in the history of the game. Right. Like, how do you not as an organization just get absolutely fired up if that guy walks in the doors and is playing with you? Right. Like, it's such a statement. And he lives on, like you said, Scott, forever in that organization. Right. Mm -hmm. We talk about Babe Ruth. We will talk about Babe Ruth forever. And we will talk about Shohei Otani forever, no matter if it's three months. Think what David Price did for the Blue Jays. Long term, even. Even, even, you know, like, forget about just the, the two and a half month window. But Shohei would quadruple that. Yeah, because he's yeah. playing both sides of it, right? I, I oh. like the more we talk about this, the more I really want this to happen for Baltimore. <laughs> like you could literally right. have him walk in. Like we picked up an amazing bat, an amazing pitcher, and he walks in one time and our bat, and then he walks in, he, he runs out the door and walks in the another door. As like we picked up, like it's it's the ultimate addition. It's just you're I I'm glad you guys both said it first because it's true. It, Baltimore would just absolute dream location for them. Here's a saying scary. It. It's here. It, it's here's like it puts battery scary. acid in your mouth. Just saying it, right? <laughs> here's a scary thought. Michael Borland says dark horse for Shohei, the Astros. Ugh. Mm. That was cool. I don't like that idea. I don't, <laughs> everyone's like gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not the feel good story. The Reds no. and Orioles are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to consider that option, but yes, obviously clearly it is a, it is a possibility. All right. Um, let's, let's get a topic in before Joel has to leave us. No, we can do one more. I'll, I'll stay for, I think I've got, well, you've got a big meeting with minutes. the Hollywood execs. 
I don't want to keep you, brother. Like, don't, I, I think I've got seven minutes. I will run it at, at, at five twenty-five my time. With Tom Cruise, I'm just jumping into close? another Zoom. Yeah, exactly. with Tom Cruise, cut it that close, close Joel. <laughs> Absolutely, we cut it to one second. We cut it to one second. I just saw that movie. I just saw Dead Reckoning Part One. We cut it to a millisecond. If he thought he could do both at the same time, he'd leave it to one second. He All could right. do both at the same time. You know All he right. could. <laughs> Lewis. Now, for everyone in chat, we do this every single Sunday. Thank you so much for following along. Hit the like button. We appreciate the love, all the comments. Um, we get our panel to bring a topic they want to talk about. So we're going to go to Lewis here. And it doesn't have to be baseball, but knowing Lewis, my, my guess is it's probably baseball focused. But what topic do you have for us today, my friend? Um, what is your order looking like? You know, pitching wise, going out of the wild card series into an ALDS. So I'm thinking game one, you go Gosman, game two, probably Barrios, game three, Bassett. But how do you back that up going into the series? Is that a trade? Is that Manoa? Is that Kikuchi? Like, are those guys really going to have playoff starts? I just want to know your guys' confidence. And, you know, I'm obviously confident we're going to go beyond the wild card series this year. But, how does that line up starting wise? Um, I'll go first. I love I can... this question, Joel. You go first. You're the one on the time timer Thanks. here. Um, I'm so I'm like I think we're all pretty confident. Like Brios and his bounce back season is is you know gives you that confidence of Manoa taking that step out. So I'm confident one two right. I think we all are with seeing Brios and, and Gosman go. Um, I still am relatively confident with Bassett especially if you can like I, I think rest has been an issue for him vocally he's mentioned that it's been really really tough situationally over the last six weeks to pitch so I think if if Bass is properly rested for the postseason I still think he's a really solid option um it, the dependency on whether you know the expectation of whether Manoa can come back and literally deliver to this team right he, he can hypothetically give you a stretch of five starts where you may be considering him to be your number two again. That's not out of the question. It's possible that we're, we all get reinvigorated and see him do it for five games. And we think that the Manoa of old is back. So that's a situation where you may not see him, but if he performs, he can move all the way up to two or three. So um, I think the Jays right now as an organization will lean towards Ryu coming back and being competitive. I don't think that you're going to, I don't think that they would make a move for another starting pitcher. So I think that your order is going to be what you see on the team right now. Um, I think that their moves will be more offense oriented. So I think it's that situation of, you know, two for sure. Um, Mano has the ability to move up into that slot, but you can't trust him for anything right now. I don't think any of us are putting him to start a postseason game at, at the moment. Uh, so, you know, you, whether it's Kikuchi, whether you're doing something like starting a, a potential opener situation where you feel like you're in a game that you need to win and maybe starting Trevor Richards for two innings is the best thing to do for the team. Like, I think it's, once again, comes down to that ability of just whatever best arm you need for that situation, you can throw it out and having guys like, if you're up against like a lefty heavy team, you may see Kikuchi as an opener, right? But I think that's, an, if you're only seeing Kikuchi for four innings, He's going to be an opener come postseason. Yeah. 
So I think that's that's my my two cents. There was there was one guy I was thinking of, and just thinking about the back half of the rotation with Kikuchi and Manoa, they're kind of moving into almost less of starting pitchers and more bulk pitchers. Like Kikuchi today, the, the staff didn't trust him to finish that third time through. Manoa, they don't trust him at all, you know. So I'm thinking with the expansion of the roster going into September, there's a chance you can have a guy on the roster who, you know, has that Mitch White role, but is a little better. Like, could you get Jack Flaherty, a bit cheaper rental, a bit, a bit on the tougher side, but, you know, that's a guy who give you four innings behind, you say, Kikuchi. Suddenly you put three innings here, four innings there, you're in it, and your bullpen doesn't have to cover as much. Or Seth Lugo is a guy I really like. He's a guy who's been starting this year, doing well, and also has experience in the bullpen in a postseason series. Like he can give you from three all the way to seven innings. Like that's the fit I really like. So, yeah, I think there is one. If there is going to be one acquisition in there, it's going to be a guy who's going to give us bulk or considerably cheap based on the how how expensive some of these starting pitching options are going to be at the deadline. So if if you're looking at starting a playoff game non-traditionally, right? So with an opener and then a bulk guy, whoever those people might be, are you looking at doing that in the wild card series so that you can no. start the next year? Like I'm just wondering how you're lining up that where that bulk guy come opener and bulk guy come in. When it comes to the wild card, it's win the game you're playing. So it's go your guy, Barrios, Bassett, whoever that is. Bullpen, everyone's up, everyone's ready to go. ALDS is when you can kind of give yourself some breathing. Because one loss isn't going to end it. A wild card series, it's like, if you lose that first game of a wild card series, you got you got to win two straight and you're, you're done. No, but I'm, I'm wondering, like, so for instance, if you have Gosman go game one of the wild card series and you win that game, right? Do you consider using the bulk situation in game two, knowing you've no. still got a, a, a bullet in the chamber for game three? That's, I'm just asking, I'm curious where, where your mindset would be for that. Nope. I'm Not kind of in the same point. boat as Lewis after last year, like after last year, you get, you get through that wild card, no matter what, like kind of I almost like the stripling. I can't see argument. getting cute. Yeah. No, I don't, the, uh, I don't either, but it does, it does, yeah, it does open yeah. up a lot of conversation. Yeah, Oakland did that in the wild card round 2018 against Tampa. They could have gone Chris Bassett, but they went Sean Manaya. They got yeah. eliminated, and I remember that was like, because should have yeah. gone with the guy that you trusted yeah. all year. So, well, and I love, I have, I, to, I have to roll. Yeah, Bye, Joel. Joel, thank Thanks, you so everybody. much for, for your time. Take Good care. Best Great of luck, cast. buddy. Knock Talk it out of the soon. park. Cheers. Go okay, so I love this question, Lewis. Just the mental exercise of it. So number one, I think this is why I want to see a six-man rotation for a little while in the next six weeks at a point. Because when I look at Kevin Gosman, he's got to be your horse, right? You've got to overuse him in the playoffs. You've got to go to him every big moment. So if he starts game one of the wild card, he is starting game one of the division series for me, even if it's on short rest. And I, I hate short rest and hopefully it all works out that that's not the case. Right. You know, I, I don't know how the scheduling is actually going to work out, 
But even if you have to go short rest, I'm going with Kevin Gosman game one. I'm going with Jose Barrios. Same thing. Those are your horses. Those are the guys that are going to give you the most innings in the season. They're the guys that I feel the most confident in. <laughs> and then from there, I almost hope they do bolster this rotation a little bit with a guy you could go in that scenario. Don't get me wrong. I do have faith in Chris Bassett, but I do worry that as you progress in the playoffs, that those top three aren't enough. It could be. I mean, look at what Philadelphia did with their rotation last year, right? Like they, they it's been proved time and time again, you can win with two horses. But uh, yeah, that game three, I, I kind of got to go question mark on that one. I, after going to Gosman and Barrios, like, I like what you're saying about the bulk guys. And maybe you do that. I think Kikuchi's in the bullpen by that point. I can't see Kikuchi in any way starting. He might not even be on the playoff roster. Who knows? Um, yeah. I, uh, fun little mental exercise. I don't know. Well, and, and if you're looking at starting both Gosman and um, Barrios on short rest in the playoffs, then it does behoove them to maybe have that six-man rotation mm -hmm. or, or at least sprinkle in the six-man uh, when you don't have, when you have long stretches without a day off right now to try to build in some of that rest. Like, how do you feel about that, Jen? Like, just the idea of, like, riding Barrios and Gosman hard come the playoffs. I mean, th those are the... That is what you are supposed to expect from your your best pitchers. Um, so, you know, theoretically, yes, absolutely. Um, right now, what is the current update on Gosman um, and his injury? Like, I don't, last I know. I, last I heard was the MRI came back clean and he's right. sore and they're playing it. Hopefully he's fine by this extra day's rest. But that's a great question. Right. There, there needs to be caution taken there because, you know, it's one thing for him to feel well enough to make his next start, but is it something that could be aggravated? I have no idea. By the way, I do trust Chris Bassett. Like he is a wily old veteran and I don't mind him going in a game three uh at all tt here says can't pay a guy 60 million plus to not start game three and that's a really good point and i actually don't feel shitty about about bassett starting game three um i just looking into the alcs now you're like what four guys are you rolling with or are are you just like screw it at that point we're going we're going on short rest. Everyone's going on short rest. We're rolling with three starters. It's the playoffs. You do or die with your top guys. Yeah. Teams have done it before. Yeah, they have. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's what you need, right? Like, I think that's what you have to expect from those guys, especially when they are veteran players, right? Like these guys have been around the block. They're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, quick update here. For you, by the, sorry. Uh, no, I'll let you carry on here in a second, but quick update. Uh, Ian Ross chimed in here with a tweet from Mitch Bannon, friend of the show here with Sports Illustrated covering the Jays. He says, uh, Gosman's side will not start in the Padres series. Blue Jays going Manoa Barrios Bassett to give Gosman a little bit of extra rest per John Schneider. So there's the update on Kevin Gosman. But again, Good. Because oh, I, I want him, I, I want to overuse him in September and 
October. So if they've got to give them an extra day rest here, especially with uh, the all-star break, the fact that Ryu is close, but the fact they could give some of these guys a breather, freaking go for it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That That's what I was going to say, like airing on that side of caution now mm-hmm. um, in the hopes that he's good to go down the road. Absolutely. And that's all we hope, right? Fingers crossed that it's airing on the side of caution and this isn't more. Right. Because if it, it, if it is more at all, then they absolutely have to pick up a starter at the deadline. Um, oh, and with that, yeah. They need Strowman at that yeah. like they need they need Blake Snell who, who, fill in fill in a top three guy is what I'm saying. All right. Well, it's funny because <laughs> just as you were saying that, I was about to say, and just for the record, it will not be Strowman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's any way it's Strowman either. I was actually really surprised to see those reports. For those who didn't hear in the chat, the reports that came out uh, from the Cubs reporters that the blue jays are at the top of the of the interested list for marcus stroman i, I think don't know those I reports just generate likes and retweets and clicks and engagements to be completely honest right to suggest that stroman is going to go back to his previous team where there were you know there was a contentious issues we'll leave it at mm-hmm. that um, to suggest that definitely gets the engagement going, you know, yeah. whether or not they actually have legitimacy behind tweeting it is all mm-hmm. cool. Because at this, this is the time of year people need to also remember when agents and teams will say anything. So, Jen, you're telling me that people on Twitter will just tweet things out without any sort of background or knowledge? <laughs> you know what? I, I know it's shocking. I know right? I know everyone thinks that Twitter is the place of honesty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was an excellent topic, Lewis. Thank you so much, my dude. Uh, Jen, we're going to go to you here. Um, you... Some of the things that, that kind we haven't of touched with, on, <laughs> like Chapman and third base was kind of where I was going with it. Um, okay. So I guess two, two sort of smaller topics and you could pick one or both. Um, if you're the Jays, what are you doing with Whit Merrifield? Right. It's the option on Whit Merrifield. So that would be one possible question there. Um, the other question, and this just stemmed from a radio sports talk radio uh, show that I was listening to the other day. Um, what is an ace? How many aces do you think are in MLB? Is Kevin Gosman an ace? Ooh, I like that. Lewis, what do you think, my dude? Is Kevin Gosman an ace? And what do you consider an ace? It's my definition of an ace has changed a lot, all because of Alec Manoa. That guy has uh, played with my heart a little bit, but. Um, Gosman is an ace through and through. He's a guy that even when he doesn't have good stuff, he goes out there and does the job. Like he had a start in Kansas City where he was throwing his fastball at like 89. And I was like, man, he's just still doing it. And that was Manoa to a large extent that year where he, mm-hmm. when he didn't have good stuff, he was still grinding through these games. So that's why I'm always so almost angry at Manoa for just – being a guy who could do this and then still giving it up this year. But in baseball, I'd have to look at the numbers, but there's probably like 15 to 20 true aces and maybe two or three teams who have two. 
So that's probably how I, and my definition is just a guy who, who does the job mm-hmm. and Manoa didn't do the job last year. So that's why my definition is kind of, you know, moved around a little bit, but Gosman just does the job. So for, for me, track record matters. Um, and it's, it's why I was a little hesitant to put the ACE moniker on Alec Manoa as much as he was the ACE of the staff last year, right? If, if you were to just, if you're giving the term ACE to the number one pitcher on a team, then Alec Manoa was without a doubt our ACE last year. But Kevin Gosman has done it year after year after year. And this is the fourth year in a row now where he has just been the top guy. And I mean, even when Alec Manoa was at the top of that rotation last year, uh, Kevin Gosman was lights out. Kevin Gosman's numbers were incredible. Kevin Gosman was there when they needed him. Even when Manoa um, would have the odd letdown, Kevin Gosman was right behind him to be the stopper. And it was a really great thing for the team to have two guys like that. And honestly, we're kind of seeing it out of Jose Barrios and Kevin Gosman this year, that one-two punch. I think Kevin Gosman is, is an ace at this point. I kind of feel like you, Lewis, that there's probably about 15 to 20 of them in the league. Not every team has an ace. Two or three are paying for two. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at on Kevin Gosman. And as for Whit Merrifield, this is such a... Like, I just love this question because there's so many different, um, just different elements of this deal to consider, right? Like, can is is $18 million to pick up his option too much? Does he like Toronto enough that the mutual option goes? I mean, I guess for $18 million, he's probably pretty quick to grab that because I can't see him making more than that on the open market. Can you sit down with his agents and and his representation and work out a two-year deal listen Whit Merrifield is 34 years old I'm not necessarily let's saying let's double down on Whit but he has been excellent for this team he has provided uh some versatility uh and the ability to move him around the diamond as well as a guy who hits differently than some than most of this lineup Right, like when you look at Whit Merrifield and what he brings to the plate, he hits for average. He caught, he has speed. He's a good base runner. He brings stolen bases to the plate. Eighteen million is way too much for Whit Merrifield. Uh, Mark Ryan's just right there with me. You know, like it, it's just too much money for him. But can they get him for two years at eighteen million? Maybe that's worth it. Like, uh, where are you at, Jen? Like. Do you want to see Whit Merrifield on this team in 2024? I think what he's done for the team this year, you know, makes me want the team to try to get him for the next couple of years. Absolutely. Um, If it's $18 million for one year, no. Um, But if they could work out a deal of some sort and get the next two, three years out of him, Um, you know, if he likes it here, if he looks at that as being like, you know, that guaranteed money versus, you know, I don't know what other teams would offer him. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. think any team's offering him $18 million for one season, you know? So, um, yeah, if you could get him, if you could get him for, for two years, you know, 15 million, I don't know. I I really don't know. Cause I haven't looked at the markets. Um, 
then I, I think you absolutely try to do that deal. Um, and hopefully his side looks at it. Um, with regards to the ace, I, I never considered Manoa to be an ace for what you said, Scott, which is the longevity side of it. So Manoa might've been their best pitcher last season, but that didn't make him an ace, right? The best putting pitcher. up ace numbers, just right. But yeah. he hadn't done it year over year over year where you at league wide could take a look at him and say, that is an ace, right? I do think that longevity piece has to factor in. And this is why I will die on the hill that they should not have started him in game one of the wild card series. Yeah. They should have gone with Gosman because of the experience. Strictly, if you're looking at the two of them, I would have gone with the experience in that game. Again, I will die on that, that hill. Absolutely. Gosman, yeah, I do think he's an ace. Um, I don't know if there's 20 in the league. I was thinking more 10 to 15, but mm -hmm. I haven't actually sat down and written out a list of names. Michelle Marie says two for 20 for wit and a promise that Vladdy won't ice bath him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do fill that into the contract. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> that was, yeah. I'm a little bit on the opposite of wit. Actually. I think this is, this will be his last year as a Jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, probably. I think. Yeah. He, dude, that trade is like amazing. You mm -hmm. traded two guys who were not going to be contributors to this team for a guy who finds his way onto the baseball field every day and does the yeah. job. Like, say your thanks. Say thank you, Wit, for what you've done. He's having his best year since 2019. Like, just take what you get and let him walk off into free agency as a 34 year old. See what he gets. Yeah. And he hasn't had an OPS plus season above a hundred since, like you said, 2019, yeah. like, and he's well above that this year and has been a contributor in every spot they've put him with Merrifield, man. Yeah. Like who saw it coming? <laughs> Thank you for your service. Yeah. Um, so my topic, and we kind of touched on this, but there is a 40 man roster crunch coming up. Mitch White with a five run lead was brought into this game and they still had to go to Eric Swanson. I understand this organization's fear of giving up an asset that they paid for. This is something, and you know what? Trevor Richards is a great example of sometimes just waiting it out really is the best play. That said, with limited spots in that bullpen coming up on the most important part of the season, it would be nice if, especially if you are going to go with that six-man rotation, if all seven bullpen pieces you could rely on. Or at least rely on to the point where you don't need to use a high leverage guy in a low leverage game last minute with an out left. What is the chance of Mitch White being just straight up DFA'd before the end of this season? I said on this show last year that I did not want him anywhere near this team. Uh, that, and I, that that is still where I'm at. 
um, he has not demonstrated the ability to get the job done for this team flat out. And if you can't trust him with a five run lead, then what good is he? What role does he have? There is no role for him. I think that just right there answers the question. You DFA him. I don't know if a team will pick him up. I have absolutely no idea. You know, but I think I, I think at, at some point you have to cut your losses. My big concern is that, I, well, not it's not a concern, but it just adds to the intrigue as to what they do with this guy is the trade deadline. They're going to add, and they're going to add major league players. They're most likely not going to be taking players off of this major league roster. So that just increases the crunch. And I know you're a Mitch White supporter, Lewis, or have been in the past. Where are you at on this guy? And do you think at, at, in this contention window that, at, like, don't get me wrong. If this was Kansas City, you keep Mitch White because he might pan out in a year or two and you're not a playoff team anyways but not the kansas city royals where are you at lewis on mitch white mitch white is one of the more frustrating guys i've ever tried to support in, the, in my <laughs> short chase 10 years of fan he doesn't make it easy on me but i i seriously believe there's a major league pitcher somewhere in this guy and i think the jays do too they trade for him they gave up mm -hmm. a pretty significant asset in nick frasso for him i think they were also smart with also getting Alex de Jesus in the yes. trade as well. Like that is a backup value in that trade where if things don't work out with white, you can sit back and know you have a prospect that is doing very well this year. So I don't know, Mitch white, he's throwing hard this year. That's one thing he's throwing upwards mm -hmm. of 94 on the fastball. His fastball shape has improved. It has more ride and his slider has been getting more sweep this year. Those are two things that I think along with our new bullpen coach hirings have, you know, really helped within the entirety of the bullpen, but also Mitch White's process, right? And I think they're just trying to rebuild Mitch White from the start. They've given him a new fastball. They said that we're tweaking some things, some things with the slider as well. And like, look at Richards, that guy in 2020, his ERA was 5.3 and he stayed in the bullpen. He pitched 60 innings with a 5.3 ERA on a team that went to the postseason. The Jays don't like giving up on guys, especially pitchers, that they've given up assets for. So I really think, I don't think they'll DFA Mitch White. I think he'll remain on the team and with an offseason, you know, to stay healthy, to keep working, and to fix the, you know, the repertoire and get things lined up, he'll become a part of the, the pitching staff because they trust him. Andrew Stoughton had a great tweet where he said, uh, the position that Mitch White has been best at yeah. this season has been the IL. He's been the and... IL. That was really good. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, look at Mitch White, right? Sample size is a really big thing. Before this inning today, his ERA was 3.7. Today mm -hmm. he came out a little higher, but his expected numbers looked fine. And if he keeps showing process with the good fastball and the good slider, eventually walks will clear up eventually guys will start missing the baseball. I'm pretty confident, and I think the Jays are, that he'll eventually have a more significant impact than being a guy just clogging a roster spot. Mm -hmm. And yes, by the way, Dolch Marist, White is out of options too, question mark. I forgot about that. And yes, yeah. White is out of options. There is no way to put him anywhere, but uh, Will says, put White on the Phantom 60-day IL. I mean... 
I don't think they'll be not, on the postseason. You're not legally roster, allowed but... to do it, but we might see something like that. Who knows? The Blue Jays definitely yeah. protect their assets. Uh, we finished a little early here. I do have an emergency topic that I thought that uh, we've got the time for it. So Go let's it. do it. Basically, when you look around, what I was doing the other day is I was looking at the roster and being like, where could they improve at a position? Like, what position could you see a surprise move from? Uh, the one I came up with is our most crowded position, which is second base. And this is only based on, by the way, this is based on Whit Merrifield playing so much time in the outfield. When you guys look at the roster, when you two look at it, is there a spot where you could see maybe a surprise move being made? I mean, obviously, a bat is a bat, and they they definitely need a bat. And I know there's been comments in the NES or something like that. Jen? If, if Mitch White could hit. Um... <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> there you go. Um, so when you started the question about other places where they could improve, second base is really the only position that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um and I mean, I suppose they could add a bat at that position, right? Like if they couldn't pick up for going back to old friend Tay Oscar, yeah. for instance, um, you know, the need for a bat is there and, and regardless, right? Second base would be, I guess, the next best option of where you would put that bat in the lineup. Um I, I don't know. I would be surprised if that was the route they went. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Daltmaris says they could upgrade the mascot. <laughs> I think they're just, you know, we they're invested in Biggio. Yeah. You know, they're Espinal. I, I, I just, I don't see them doing that um, as much as I for a long time have wanted them to move on from Vigio. I just, I would be absolutely shocked if that's what they did. Uh, I know a, there's another thing there's, I wanted to bring up. Uh, I'll, I'll go throw to you here in a second, Lewis. I'm just bringing up chat where they say Jordan Luplo is absolutely raking in AAA right now. So that is, if you want to try and catch kind of lightning in a bottle, that might be sure. an option. Go ahead, Lewis. Uh, that was another thing I just wanted to bring up with, uh, you know, reactions to pitchers doing badly. And because like Kevin Vigio, I was just thinking about this now you brought him up. Kevin Vigio is a guy who struggled forever, mm -hmm. you know, and he's a guy that Jays continue to hold on to. Like failure for a hitter happens over a month. Like you don't really have a bad month until you've been playing for a month. But the pitcher, one day looks really bad. That's just, yeah, that was just one thing I wanted to say. But then on top of that, with the Whit Merrifield thing, I think you you fix him positionally at second base by getting a left fielder. When Whitmere Merrifield doesn't have to go into the outfield, he's your everyday second baseman. And go. that fixes a lot of things. Yep. And that other position I was thinking of for a trade, catcher. Imagine putting another guy back there. I was thinking, you know, Kirk, you might find a reason to put that guy on the I.L. and pick up a guy like... I know Jan Gomes, you know, not a great mm -hmm. hitter, but decent behind the plate, World Series winner in 2019. He's a guy you can put back there and be like, we have we have a World Series winning catcher back there, you know. 
So I think cash is a sneaky spot where they might say, Kirk, we're going to hit you with this Phantom IL or find something wrong with you and just let you get your feedback on the that is interesting. And I mean, a veteran catcher, you see added to contenders all the time. All the time. For that exact reason. Yeah. I know that uh, this was not expertly done, but I went over the last 10 years of catcher experience on World Series winners. And there was not a team that had less than 13 years experience except for the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2020. And they had nine years of experience and they were running with Will Smith, who was like 18 months into yeah. his career. Kirk, Kirk could be sent to, yeah. uh, to Buffalo. Could he not? He could. Like, you don't have to, he you could. don't have to IL him. No, you could, nope. you could. You're just, absolutely right. And again, it would be a shame because Alejandro Kirk's game in every aspect outside of what he's doing at the plate has been incredible. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has improved his defense on every every aspect and is a top five catcher in the league when it comes to framing and blocking and just all the stuff that makes a good catcher. Unfortunately, his bat has been about as ice cold as it possibly could be. I know I brought it up at the beginning of the the show, but he's got an OPS under 300 for July. Like we're it's July 16th. I know there was an all-star break and I know that that, you know, we're getting the sample size is getting smaller, but that is just disgusting. Okay, I think we'll wrap it there. We're uh, about 10 minutes short of what we normally do, but without without a six-person panel, this really flies through, you know? So I just want to thank yeah. you, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on. And, Lewis, you two uh, really came up big. I know you've already talked about this, I'm sure, on another episode. I just want to bring up how... Uh, how fantastic I think it is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won that home run derby. Yeah. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, if that ignites anything in him, like going out and having fun and winning it with the shade that was being thrown at him on Mm -hmm. the broadcast the entire way through, you know, and the the exhaustive comparisons to his father, just, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I normally don't care who wins as long as it's a good show. Um, But for him to go out and win that, I just have to say, you know, good for him. Thrilled to see it. Really hope that, you know, that, that momentum for him just keeps going because him getting hot, uh, that in and of itself would be huge for this team. So I just wanted to end on that final note. I agree with you, Jen. Vladdy's energy has shifted since that home run derby. Truly, you see it in his in his body language. You see it in the way he's playing the game. He's got his smile back. Rejuvenated. And, I mean, listen, I, I do want to reiterate that Vladdy was struggling mightily. And of course, you're not happy. You're not smiling when when you're struggling. You know, like I don't I don't want to say that it's just like the home run derby fixed Vladdy, but it kind of fixed Vladdy. Like, I mean, short sample size and everything and knock on all the wood, but I feel good about Vlad right now. Like, Lewis, when you look at Vlad over this last series, even the last couple series, do you feel like uh, old Vlad is back? He's always he's always there, man. I think it really just comes down to his approach and just where he's hitting the baseball. I think mm-hmm. I think one problem, my biggest problem with the Jays this year has been their terrible maximizing of 
balls in play. Like, I love the opposite. I love an opposite way single from Bobichet as much as the next guy. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. needs to be pulling that ball in the air. And that home run derby was just perfect. Just seeing him sitting back, turning on that ball inside and launching it over the left field wall. He didn't have a ball right of center field hit for that home run derby. Not, not one to center. Mm-hmm. And so to see him hit that homer, first AB back. And that was the first home run derby winner to ever do that in the first AB back. So, yeah, I think just getting Vlad pulling that ball in the air and – yeah, like the guy you went up. The double he hit today, he just missed it. Against Moogie Betts. That guy's more yeah. home runs than him this year. And his mm-hmm. home run was terrible. Yeah. Agreed. So I'm, I'm uh, excited for this if I is, can do this. This is a text from my buddy Jason, and he just said, what if the water bucket is full of home run jackets? Problem solved. <laughs> two birds, one stone. Yeah, two birds, <laughs> one stone. Yeah, he sure. sure loved putting that jacket on after the derby. Eh? You could just see he loved it. He it was, looked good. Right, it's back. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. You know what? And I, I mean, I, clearly they're not bringing back the jacket because it would have happened by now. But I did, I did think like, okay, then come up with something, right? Like, have mm-hmm. you got to oh. have something? But seeing that really was, yeah, that was that was a, that was cool. Yeah, For don't sure. bring back the jacket. Bring back Tao. Well, so then maybe instead of a bucket full of ice water, it's a bucket full of sunflower seeds. There, Mr. Seeds, bring them back. We'll end on that. Again, thank you so much, Lewis and Jen. We actually had uh, over 100 viewers at times throughout the cast. So thank you so much so much for your time uh jen obviously is uh our veteran our go-to here so we'll see her again next week lewis can't wait to have you back brother all the best with uh how's the baseball season going buddy um arm has been a little bit hurt recently but overall not too bad well he'll triple a call up for you there there you go you're the triple a call up right on all right everybody thank you so much for watching all the best take care uh, we'll see you later. And again, Adam's not here. He will be back tomorrow. He's looking for his camera and all this stuff to, to, to podcast in his moving boxes as we speak. All the best, everybody. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Walk Off Podcast with Scott Belford and Adam Mack with a new episode every Friday. Thanks for listening.